Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome on this snowy Sunday morning and snowy springtime, I guess, huh? It is what it is. Just watch out when you walk out there because the tree is letting go of the snow, and so you just see these plops everywhere, and I don't want you to get it on the head as you walk out today. But um, I'm so glad that you guys are here today. I want to take a moment before I jump into the message and just say thank you to those of you who uh, designated memorial funds to go towards some of the projects that we've been able to do out in the foyer. I just wanted to say thank you for, for investing and to, uh, to be able to do some of those things. We've got a few more things that we're working on in the, in the coming months, but one of those that's really exciting to me is the history wall that we've got planned to do on this, uh, this wall to my left on the outside in that hallway back here of just being able to, to tell the story of South Suburban and to be able to, to celebrate the past as we trust the Lord to lead us into the future. How many of you guys know that it's really important to know the foundation that you stand on? And so, of course, we could preach on that as well, but just as a church, uh, we want to be able to just um, to be able to show the foundation of this church and to also be able to tell a story of where God is leading us. And it's good things, and we're going to jump into that today. And I actually want to be able to jump in pretty quickly today. Last week, I heard the, the preacher went long, and so um, we're going to see how that goes today. But we've been talking about four promises that God made to his children in this series called Promise Maker. And Jewish people call these the four I wills. They were commitments. They were promises that God made to his children. And the Jewish will, every year at Passover, they'll look at these promises. They'll read them together. They'll talk about them as a family. And then they'll commemorate them with a cup of wine. And so a lot of times these would be referred to as the four cups or you could call them the four I wills, and we're calling them the, the four promises that God made. And let's look at those together this morning. The four core promises found in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, and you can follow along on the screens with me this morning. It says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. So these four core promises that God made, and the very first one is that I would bring you out. It's the promise of salvation that God made to his people. And we talked about this on Easter Sunday, and then we moved on last week to the second promise, and that's the promise of freedom. So when God brought the people out of bondage, now he needed to get the bondage out of them. And that was the second promise, that I will free you. Today we're going to look at promise number three, which is I will redeem you. This is one of my favorite ones of the three. I get stoked about this because of this, this promise that, that God isn't just wanting to take you out of something, but he's actually wanting to place you into something that's absolutely amazing. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Next week we'll look at promise number four. And that is that I'll take you as my own people. It's the promise of fulfillment. It's really what you would call the end game. It's what people are looking for. And they don't always recognize that there's really this process that needs to happen to lead them to that life of fulfillment. And that's what these four promises are that God made. So today we're going to circle back to this third promise that God made. We'll put it up on the screen again today. And it's the promise to redeem us. It's found again in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, and it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts 
of judgment. So again, it's important for you to know that God was not only interested in saving his children and delivering them inside, but he had a plan for them. He wanted to do something with them. He had a purpose for them. And his plan and this promise is to get them out of the old, but this promise is that I'm going to put you back to the way that I created you. He's going to redeem them back to their original design and purpose. Now, sometimes I really enjoy just looking up words in the dictionary to find out how people define that word. Have you ever discovered that sometimes you you may define a word differently than someone else? And sometimes there's a disconnect when, when your interpretation of a word is different than theirs. And so this morning, I thought it would be healthy for us to just get on the same page with this word, redeem. And I want to turn to Webster's Dictionary. Webster offers three explanations that I think paint beautiful pictures of what God is wanting to accomplish in this promise. And the first part of that is to buy back or to repurchase. Story is told of a young boy who built a, a, a toy boat, a, this model boat that would float in the water, and he, he spent hours and hours and hours of his time, and he just poured his, his life into that thing for that season, and he loved it, and he put it on the water, and a storm came up and blew it away, and it was lost. And the next week, the boy is walking through the town, and he sees his boat in the window of a store, and he walks in, and he says, that's, that's my boat, and The store owner said, well, it's mine now, and you're going to have to buy it back from me if you want it. The boy had to go home and sell everything that he had in order to afford to buy this boat back. It's a picture of redemption, that he not only created it, but then he purchased it back. It's a story that God is telling here. The second part of this word redeem that Webster defines is to change for the better or reform. See, a lot of us in our our pursuit of a good life, we actually view a good life as really just the absence of bad things. As long as there's not something bad going going on in my life, then I'm living a good life. And that's not at all the view that God has. When God talks about redeeming you, it's not just pulling you out of something bad, but it's placing you into something that's beautiful, something that's better. The third part of this word redeem is to repair or restore. Now, I have the, uh, the unique privilege of growing up in a generation gap between my father and I. My dad is 88 years old and I'm 44, half his age, and there's an entire generation between us that, was, that was, there was a gap. Now, I can best explain that to you by just telling you that I learned to drive a 1917 Ford Model T. That was what my dad taught me how to drive. And I remember the day that when I was in grade school that my dad came home and he said, I found a beautiful 1917 Model T and it's complete and I'm going to buy it. And the whole family is thinking like, all right, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to buy it. We're going to drive it back. But what we did is we pulled up to a barn and we found in the back of that barn a pile of parts. And it was a complete 1917 Ford Model T. All the parts were there. And over the course of the next few years, my dad restored that vehicle. He redeemed it back to its original purpose. 
And it's a beautiful car now, but that's part of this restoration, this redemption that God has planned for us. So simply put, redemption is God restoring us back to our original purpose, getting us back to what we were created originally to be doing. God has a specific assignment for you. The world might call it a destiny. God has a destiny for you. And his assignment for you is not to be under a yoke. We talked about that in week one. And his assignment for you, his, his destiny is not for you to be stuck in bondage. We talked about that in week two. But his assignment for you, his destiny is for you to fulfill his purpose for your life. He's got a plan for you. And so we have to ask the question, what keeps us back from that? What keeps us back from God's purpose and his destiny in our life? What, what blocks us from this promise? And so we're going to look at that promise just a little bit closer now. Exodus 6, verse 6 again. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So God redeems us with an outstretched arm. In fact, the Hebrew word for this actually indicates that God bends down and he stretches his arm out to us. He extends his arm to us. God redeems us with an outstretched arm. Why does God have to stretch his arm out to us? I believe partly it's because most people see themselves in a place much lower than God sees them. The psalmist said it this way, I was in a pit, I was in the miry clay, but God reached down and he lifted me out. See, most of us don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. We see ourselves in a much lower place than he does. We don't see much potential in our lives for God to work with. And there's a word that describes that feeling, and it's actually the very first blockage to this promise, and that word is inferiority. See, millions of people have an incorrect view of themselves. And they base it on their past, they base it on their problems, they base it on their mistakes. We've all had them, we've all fallen short. Last week, we talked in promise number two about letting God heal the pain and the scars of yesterday. And if you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and check it out on our church website. But many people are trying to live out their purpose in the future without settling the pain of their past. And God is saying, I need to move you forward. And if you're stuck in thinking that you are bound to your past and your, your view of yourself is based on the past, this is a blockage. But, so back to this point. For whatever reason, people often fail to see the greatness that God sees in you. So here's what Scripture says God is ready to do. Psalm 18 says that you stoop down to make me great. Again, this is a beautiful picture of God reaching down to where we're dwelling in a pit, to where we see ourselves. And he pulls us up. He redeems us. And he places us in the position where he created us to operate. And it's much higher and it's much greater than probably what's in your mind. And that's this inferiority that the devil would love to speak to you 
God sees greatness in his people. He sees greatness in you that you may not see in yourself. And that's mostly because the Bible calls this the enemy of our soul. Satan is opposed to you. We, we addressed this last week a little bit, but you, there's an enemy, somebody who is against you. They want to keep you down. There's a funny story told of a, of a parrot in a, in a pet store. man walks into the pet store. Parrot over in the corner says, hey, come over here. Guy walks over, and he's like, me? And he goes, yeah, you're the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. The guy walks over to the owner, and he goes, your parrot just insulted me. Owner walks over and slaps the parrot around, pulls some feathers out, and the parrot's stumbling a little bit. And then the guy comes back a week later and steps in the store, and the parrot goes, hey, come over here. Guy walks back over, and he goes, me? He goes, yeah, you're the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. Guy walks over to the owner again, and he goes, your parrot is still insulting me. So the owner slaps him around a little bit more, and the parrot's dazed. And about a month later, the guy comes back and walks in the door. Sure enough, the parrot goes, hey, come over here. Guy walks over, and he goes, me? He goes, yeah. He goes, what? He goes, you know what? Listen, sometimes the enemy is just constantly saying, you know what? You know what you did. You think you can get away from your past? You, you, those mistakes that you made? Hey, you know what? And he's constantly reminding us. And he's trying to keep us down in that pit. Because if he can keep us down, if he can keep our confidence down, if he can keep that insecurity inside of us, if he can keep that potential down, he can keep us living in the pit. He's keeping us from fulfilling this promise. But again, we've got this beautiful promise from the Lord that he reaches down to redeem us. Outstretched arms. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says it this way. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. See, God sees greatness in you that you don't even see in yourself. And I get this. I know there are times when I have to work hard in order to see God's view of me. But that's so critical here. Let me take it just a step deeper. In the NIV, this same passage actually says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, listen to this, God prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, God didn't create you and then try to think of something for you to do. It was actually just the opposite. He had a plan for you, and then he created you. He prepared in advance these things for you to do, and then he breathed life into you. God created us for a purpose. He had it in mind before we were born. And scripture says we're his masterpiece, and so he is willing to stoop down, to reach his arm out, and to redeem us back to that original plan. And that's what the picture of this promise is of what God is wanting to accomplish in our lives. Now, there's a second way that the enemy tries to block this promise from happening, though. Again, Satan does not want you to experience this promise of restoration, so he'll create what we would call a diversion. 
something that would distract us, that would get our eyes off of what's important, the goal, the focus. As long as he can get our eyes off of what God is wanting to do, he can keep us from following through and from fulfilling this purpose. Now, it doesn't mean that those things are bad things. In fact, there's a lot of good things in your life that keep you from the God things. Let me say that again. There's a lot of good things in your life that attract your attention, your focus, your time, your passions, but they keep you from the God things. And so the enemy will use things like money to distract you. He'll use relationships to distract you. He'll use anything. He'll use your hobbies to distract you. He'll use difficult things like problems and tragedies. We all face those things. But the enemy's goal is to get your eyes and your focus on those things because it keeps you off of what God is wanting to do in your life and what he is calling you to. So if he can keep your attention, your eyes on your issues, he's diverted you. He's derailed you from your purpose. Here's what Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica. He said, I wanted very much to come to you, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, but Satan prevented us from coming. The Greek word for prevented is ekopta, and it means to impede one's course by cutting off his way. In fact, you could picture it as a giant ditch or a ravine that's just cut through the road that you're traveling down, and, and it keeps you from moving forward. A lot of your scriptures will say, it will use the word hinder right here. The enemy will hinder you. I believe that as a Christ follower, Satan can't touch you, but he can touch your path. He can hinder you. And so this promise number three says that God will use mighty acts of judgment to redeem you. And these mighty acts of judgment I believe, are reserved for the enemy because God will confront any enemy of his people. He'll confront any enemy and he'll turn it around. Here's one of the confidences that we have that Scripture gives us. In Romans 8, 28, it says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Listen, God can take any path that you have taken. Some, some of you guys may think, I've gone too far. God can take any path that you have taken, and he can turn it to get you where he wants you to go. Let me ask you a, a question this way. The best way to get from here to Breckenridge is probably to take I-70. What if you go to Colorado Springs? Can you still get there? Yes, you can, because there is a road that goes from Colorado Springs to Breckenridge. It's not the fastest. It may not have been God's original plan, but when you make a bad turn in life, God can still get you back. It may take a little bit longer. How many of you guys, you feel like your life is a testimony of that? You probably took the long way around. Don't leave me up here alone. Come on. But there's no path there's no decision, there's no mistake that I've made that God can't get me back to where he planned for me to go. Some of you needed to hear that today. That's what this promise of redemption that God has extended to his people, that's what it is all about. So you could phrase it this way. 
If you have gone the wrong direction, God can still get you there. If the enemy has created a diversion, God can still get you there. Romans 11, verse 29, tells us that God's gifts and his call are under full warranty. They're guaranteed. They're never canceled. They're never rescinded. In fact, I like probably best the King James Version says they are without repentance. That means that he's never changed his mind. God has never changed his mind about you regardless of what you've done, regardless of what road you've taken, regardless of your directions. You may be directionally challenged. God can still get you there, and he's never changed his mind about you. That's why I get so fired up about this promise, number three, that no matter what you've done, God still has a plan, he still has a purpose for your life, he can always fulfill it, and he can get you there. He just needs to redeem you. That's why he made this promise. So let's shift gears here and let's look at what it takes to see this promise fulfilled now. First of all, there's a word that you're going to need to get comfortable with and warm up to. It's actually two words, and they're the words spiritual gift. I'm going to explain why this is connected to this promise here. But you've got to recognize that you've been given a spiritual gift because that's how the Bible describes this promise of restoration. God wants you to discover the gift that he has placed inside of you because it's a huge part of discovering his purpose for you. What did God make inside of me to fulfill the purpose that he has for me? So let's look at this passage again. Romans 12, 6, it says this. We each have different gifts according to the grace given us. Now that word grace is the Greek word charis. We get the word charismatic from it. And it simply means this. It means a divine enablement. God did this in you. The Bible's favorite word for spiritual gifts is not the, the phrase spiritual gift. It's actually this word charis, according to this charis given us. And it's best translated a grace gift. A grace gift means that you've been given a grace for it. It's just something that it's easy for you to do. It comes naturally because it's how God made you. I have, I have a grace for certain things. I have a grace for speaking. I have a grace for drinking coffee. That's my spiritual gift for those of you who are wondering, right? But listen, there are certain graces I don't have. God didn't make me to be a singer. I'll stand on the same platform I'll hold the same microphone, and I've been given a grace to speak, but not sing. Here's, here's another example. I have not been given a grace for kids' ministry. If, if I were in the kids' ministry, you'd probably go down there and you'd find a bunch of boys duct taped to chairs. <laughs> right? That's not my grace. Right now you can just say, thank you, Jesus, that Patrick's not down there. There are certain things that God has graced me with, certain things that God has graced you with. There are these gifts. You call them spiritual gifts because it's the Spirit of God that places them in us, and it's the Spirit of God that is actually best at drawing them out of us as well. That's why people will call them spiritual gifts, but they're, they're grace gifts, and we have each been given these gifts 
But this ultimate expression, we, we use these gifts for a lot of things. Let me, let me back up. The gift that God has given you, you might use in your job. He has gifted you at something, and you use that in a career, and you make money, and that's your provision, and that's a wonderful blessing, and that's part of God's original intent with gracing you with these gifts. But the ultimate expression of those gifts is actually found in the kingdom. So God's master plan was not that you would have a job, but his master plan is that you would actually build his kingdom. And so the greatest expression of these graces, these grace gifts, is actually found in serving the Lord through his kingdom. And we'll talk more about that in a minute here. But here's what the word of God says. 1 Corinthians 14 says that we should eagerly desire these spiritual gifts. So this is like a bulletin for you guys, a newsflash. Instructions from God, desire these gifts. Go after them. There's a reason for that, and we're going we're to unpack that. Our first step of seeing promise number three of redeeming your purpose is to discover your gift. That, that grace gift that God has given you, you need to discover what it is. The best way to discover your gift is to look at your design. How did God make you? How did God make you? How, are you, made, how you are made is part of his purpose for you so he put something inside of you he put a grace inside of you and when you discover what god made you with you begin to discover what god made you for you see how they're connected you see why the scripture connects these two when you're trying to discover what god made you for you you first of all discover the gift that he put inside of you because he wants to use that to fulfill his purpose and so it's important for us to discover that gift that God made. In fact, you could say it this way, your design will reveal your destiny. The way that God created you and made you starts to, <clears throat> starts to unpack of what he wants you to do. The psalmist wrote it this way, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know that. The psalmist is recognizing God made him intentionally, made him beautifully, wonderfully made, and he did it for a reason. There was a purpose behind it. As you look at your personality, as you look at your giftings, the things that God has, has given you a grace for, <clears throat> you look at your passions and your dreams, you start to understand and you start to see a picture of your purpose. All these things work together. Your design reveals your destiny. And the key for all of this, if you're, you're ready for this, okay, it's a, it's a big, big thing. The key for all of this is God. It's, it's God. If you try to find your purpose and your destiny in your career or in your relationships or in your education, you're going to miss it. You'll never fully grasp what your purpose is until you really connect with God because God's the one who wrote the book on you. Nobody knows the creation better than the creator himself. He knows what he put in you, and he knows the purpose that he had for you before he ever breathed life into you. <clears throat> so the secret is to get close to the one who designed you. <clears throat> Here's how the Bible says it in Ephesians. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. 
on the screen here. Follow along with me. I'm going to read that again. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. It's part of the overall purpose. He is working out everything and everyone. Colossians says it this way, for everything, absolutely everything, got started in Christ and finds its purpose in him. The closer you get to God, the more you're going to discover this purpose, why God made you. Number two, the second thing, once you discover your gift, now you need to develop it because your gift is not developed inside of you. So let me explain. The gift is perfect. Scripture says every good and perfect gift comes from above, but the container is imperfect. God takes a perfect gift and he places it in an imperfect creation. And so Scripture calls us to develop that gift inside of us. That means you sometimes have to practice things. Sometimes you have to exercise those gifts and work them and, and, and develop them inside of us. And that's part of the job of the church, I believe, is to help you develop your gift. In fact, the church should be built around the gifts of the people, these grace gifts. When God sees a group of people and he has graced them and he has gifted them and he draws them together for a reason, there's a purpose for your life and there's a purpose for this church. And those things do come together. And the church should be built around these gifts of the people. Now, let me... Let me let me take a side note here. There's a difference between uh, your gifts and your passions. Sometimes they collide, sometimes they don't. So uh, let me give you another example. As I was talking earlier, I'm not graced with singing. I'm passionate about it. Just because you're passionate about something doesn't necessarily mean that that's the gift that God has given you. Our, our church, the, the church, is to be built around the gifts of the body. What did God grace you with that he wants you to use to build his kingdom? And I believe, again, that's part of the church's job is to help you understand and develop, to uncover and, and work those gifts and to discern the difference between things you like and things you're good at. Can anybody else relate on that? There are certain things that you like, but they're not necessarily giftings. And that's part of what the church is called to do is to help you discover the gifts not just the things you like, but, but the gifts. So I do believe God calls a shepherd to lead a flock. He calls a pastor to lead a church. But the church should be built around the people plugging their gifts in. That's what the church is. So scripture says it this way. Ephesians 4 says, But to each one of us, grace, it's that same word, charis, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Those are like me. Those are the, the full-time preacher guys, the, the pastors. But he gave them for a reason, and that's this, to equip his people for works of service. That means my job, a pastor's job, is not to do it all. It's equip the, the body to help them discover their gifts, to get plugged in, and to fulfill God's purpose for their life. If the pastor does it all, then the people are not using their gifts. They're, they're failing to fulfill God's purpose in that area. 
You don't rely on everybody else to do it. You say, God, what are you calling me to do? Help me to live that out and to follow it. Again, helping you discover and develop the reason why you were created. The last one here is, um, and this leads into next week's message, okay? This is, it's that you need to use your gift. You discover your gift, you develop your gift, and then you use your gift. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts, and he calls you to manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. So when you do this, when you use your gifts, you're actually worshiping the Lord. This is part of your, your service to him. And I want to I take a moment right now to say thank you to those of you who have said, God, I want to use my gift to serve you through the body. Because what you do here is, first of all, fulfilling God's purpose in your life, but secondly, it's also building the church. And that's the beautiful partnership of, of God saying, my, my greatest reason for gracing you with a gift is that you would find a way to invest it in the kingdom. And so I want to say thank you to those of you who are plugging in and you're tapping into those gifts and your, your, your purpose of what God has placed in front of you. The church's job is to help people get plugged in to those gifts. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. And I know there's opportunities. Pastor Joe is leading a starting point class today. And, and a lot of what we are, are really working and gearing this class towards is helping people discover their gifts and getting plugged in. Hebrews 6.10 says this, God will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him through serving his people. God doesn't forget. He sees it and he honors what you're doing, of using those graces to serve the body. God honors that. You have a unique gift, and it's wrapped around this one thought, this, this one concept here, that your purpose in serving God by serving others. We're discovering, what, is that, what does that look like for me? God's gifted me with something so that I would use that to fulfill a purpose, and that purpose is by building the kingdom somewhere, somehow, doing something what is it? So we walk all the way through this service to walk off a cliff? I mean, is that what it is? Because now we're saying, then what is it? What is it? And that's part of what I think we need to wrestle with. It's part of what I want to challenge you to in this response time. We're going we're to close our service up here. And I want you to have an opportunity to respond to the Lord. This isn't responding to me. You're responding to the Lord, and you're saying, God, I know that you created me with something to do something. Help me connect those things. What is it? I know that you're redeeming me. I know that's your promise, and that's your plan. What are you redeeming me to? What is that original purpose? And if you're here today, and you are in the place right now, and you're saying, I've never really even given God an opportunity to speak those things to me. I've never asked him to be the one who's actually in charge of my life. Hey, today is a perfect opportunity for you to just start that. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today, and you're ready to begin a relationship with God, and you say, I'm, I'm done trying it on my own, I'm, I'm done trying to find my purpose other places, I'm ready to do this. 
I'm ready to give it to the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So I'm going to ask everybody to just bow your heads, close your eyes. This is a, a personal deal that's happening between people and God, the creation and the creator. This is between you and the Lord. If you're here today and you're saying, I, I'm ready to make this commitment to the Lord, to make this decision, I just invite you to pray this prayer with me. You can say, Lord, I'm ready. I am, I'm ready for you to be in charge. I'm ready for you to be the focus in my life. I'm ready to discover my purpose that's found in you. And right now, Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins and that you would come into my life as my Lord, that you would be in charge. I ask that you would give me the strength to follow you from this day forward. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today, I'm going to ask you to do something very, very simple today. On the back of your connection card is a box that says, I said yes. And I would just want to invite you to take that card to check the box. We have people who drop these off on a regular basis, and it's something for us as a church to pray for, to encourage, and to support. That's part of the job of the church. And so I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, maybe it was a recommitment to Christ or it was a very first-time decision to follow him. Check that card. At the end of our service, in just a few moments, we're going to have some prayer teams up here, and we'd love to pray for you. Anything that you're facing right now in life, we believe God's bigger than it. Can I get an amen on that? Whatever you're facing, God is greater, and he loves you, and he wants to move on your behalf, and we want to pray with you about any of those things. And so our prayer teams are going to be up here in just a couple of minutes. If you check that box, that yes box, I want to encourage you to take that card and drop it off with one of our prayer teams. They would love to pray with you today and to be able to support you in this exciting decision. Would you guys take a moment and congratulate those who made that decision today?